Okay, so today's daf is Nun Bet in Yoma. We are actually already on Nun Bet Amud Bet. We are at the Mishnah, which is about a quarter of the way down from the top of the Amud, where it says, Achitzona Haita Pufa Minadarom Upnivit Minatzavon. So we're going back to the idea that there were two curtains separating the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodeshim. So the, uh, the, the, the curtain that is facing the Kodesh, which, it's co- you know, which is the outer curtain, meaning the curtain that is less close to the Kodesh Kodeshim, so that curtain was open to the south. The south side of it was open, which means to say that um, when you would enter, that when you go through past the first curtain, you have to enter from the your left, from the left side, right? The second one, then you have to go through the north one. So what he would do was he would go to the left, enter from the left, go along the inner curtain, right, until he reached the north, and then of Darom. And So, in other words, what he would do is like this. He would enter the first curtain. He enters the space between the two curtains, basically, from the left side, which is the south. Then he goes, he turns, and he walks along the, the part that's in, you know, the, basically in the area that's in between the two curtains. He's walking northward. Uh, he's walking due north, and he, so he turns right, and he walks that way. And then at the end, in order to, he has to make another left in order to enter the Kodesh Kodashim uh, at the north end of the inner curtain. But then he has to walk again. He has to make a left going down back to the middle because that's where the Aron is. In other words, so he, he zigzags, basically. He goes this way. Then he has to go in, and then he has to come back to come for the Aron is. So what does he do with the, when he comes to the Aron? He puts the fire pen down on the ground between the two staves of the Aron, the two sticks that, uh, you know, protrude from the Aron, the two handles. And then he piles the uh, incense on top of the coals. We've seen exactly how he does this. He pours it into his hands and so on. It doesn't mention that in the Mishnah, but we know that from before. The entire Kodesh Kodeshim fills with smoke from the Ketorot. So then it says that he turns around, um, that he, 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 it says he exits actually, and he comes out the way that he came. Right? He doesn't actually turn around, as the Gemara is going to explain, but he, he exits the way that he came. It should just say, Derech Kenisato, not Beit Kenisato. And then when he gets to the outer area, he says a short filah um, when he comes back to the Kodesh. In other words, he stays in the Kodesh Kodeshim until it fills with smoke. And then he exits the Kodesh Kodeshim and goes back into the Kodesh. When he's in the Kodesh, he says a small tefillah that we know that's mentioned actually in the Musaf of Yom Kippur. But he would not make a long tefillah. Because otherwise the people would get scared. Maybe he died in there. And they wouldn't know what happened to him. Like, why is he not coming out? What's going on? So they... No tefillah in there, only in the Kodesh. So it, he spent the minimum amount of time in the Kodesh that he was supposed to wait for it to fill with smoke, and then he exits to the Kodesh. And then he says a prayer after he comes out, but it can't be a long prayer because people get nervous that he's, you know, the, what happened, maybe he di- died in there. We don't know what happened to him, so they would, they'd be worried. And we're going to see there's a story about it in the Gemara later. Now the Gemara says, What are we talking about here? If this whole description of the Avodah, Seder Avodah here is based on the first temple, so mi avu parochet, there was no parochet in the first temple. Like we learned yesterday, there was a partition. There was, a, there was actually a partition with doors. There was not a parochet. There was not a curtain. Elba Mikdash Sheni. So if we're talking about the Bait Sheni, Mihava Aron, there was no Aron in Bait Sheni. They didn't have the Aron anymore. Vatani, we learned in a Braita, Mishinignaz Aron, Dignaz Aimot, Sintanet Amanut, Sochit Shemena Mishcha, Umakdoshel Aron, Ushkadel Parchea. 
when the when the Aaron was put away, was hidden away, they also hid away with it the container of man that they had saved for all those years, and they had put away the uh, the container of oil that was used to anoint the uh, the the Mishkan and the Kohanim, and the staff of Aaron that had budded to show you know to disprove the claims of the people in Korach's camp or you know the post Korach when they had to prove the validity of the Kehuna, and also the, the box with the gifts that the Plishtim had sent to the God of Israel. Um, now we know that, um, we know that, that that's a story that appears in the beginning of the book of Shmuel, when the Aaron is taken by the Plishtim, it's captured by the Plishtim, and then all kinds of bad things happen to the Plishtim, and eventually they return it with a bunch of gifts, golden uh, uh, gifts that they, uh, that they sent back, with the cows that they sent the Aaron with the cows carrying it, pulling it, and they sent it with a bunch of gifts. After they sent, they moved it from city to city, and every city that would receive the Aaron, they would get plagued. So they decided, you know what, this is not worth it, and they sent it back. So that was uh, so. The, and the pasuk they said that. Uh, how do we know that it's true that they kept it there? And what is it? It corrects the uh, language here also that it should say ve'et ve'et. Uh, what does it say um, the golden articles you should place the uh, golden items that you sent back as a gift in a box next to it and uh, and you should send it that's talking about the elders of the plishtim they were consulting you know what what exactly to do and they said put this box of gifts next to the aron and send it back and apparently it stayed next to the aron for all those years so they uh, i guess as a testimony to the you know the holiness of the aron that hashem made this intervention to uh, uh, to save it but the point is that they kept it next to it and then only later uh, when, when they hid the Aaron, they also hid these gifts of the Plishtim. So all these things were hidden away. So the point is that Umignaz, the one who hid it, Yoshiao, Yoshiao Amelech, which is way before the, destru- the destruction even of Bait Rishon. Right, Yoshiau Gnazo Umar Ashnegdo. What did he? Why did he do that? Rashi Katuv Yolech Hashem Otechavet Malkechashet Akim Alecha. He saw that the Torah foretold that curses are going to befall the Jewish people, including the king, and they're going to be exiled to a uh, you know to another land. So Amad Ugnazo. So therefore, he got up and he hid it away. This, this is talking about in the times of Yoshiau, because in the times of Chizkiyahu, it looked really good for the Jewish people, but then Chizkiyahu had some sort of faltered from his high point at the end of his life, and then Menashe took over for all those years that he was the king, and then. And Yoshiao eventually rises up and kind of rediscovers Judaism after 55 years of tyrannical reign by Menashe. Yoshiao you know, reinstates things, but he sends for the Navi and says, what's going to happen to us that we've been neglecting the Torah? And basically the answer is, you know, not, a, not good news. You know, the, the, the decree was sealed. So he realized I'd better put the Aron away. So he did. And um, and this is the pasuk that they that that is often cited to for that vayomer lalevim amivinim lechol Yisrael akedoshim l'Hashem that Yoshiau said to the Leviim who were those who taught the Jewish people who were holy holy to Hashem to know that I want a kodesh by the Shabbat Nashim Ben David Melech Yisrael en lachem masaba katef that he said to them place the Aaron in the house that Shlomo Hamelech built. You will no longer be carrying it. And now serve Hashem, your God, and His people Israel. In other words, he said, you're not going to be carrying it anymore, meaning you're going to be putting it away because we don't want to end up carrying it anymore, including 
not into exile, meaning we don't want to have, we, we want to hide it away, so we'll not, we won't, so somewhere underneath the uh, Beit HaMikdash in some hidden place, apparently, you know, he put it, but uh, not to be exposed, so it would never be taken by the enemy or taken into exile. Amar Rabbi Elazar, and that's why, you know, even Indiana Jones, he, he, he was looking in the wrong place. Amar Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Elazar says, uh, how do we know that all these items were placed underneath the Beit HaMikdash or somewhere hidden away, not just the Aron, but all these items that were mentioned here, Atyash Shama Shama, so all three of these words are to connect one item to the next because it says you should uh, I will appear to you or meet with you there regarding the Aron and it says with it says with the container of the man the uh, of the man that was saved by Aron for 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 posterity it says but it says there's Shama Shama that's what Moshe Rabbeinu told Aron to save some of it. And it says Dorot twice. It says the, that the, the man should be the Mishmeret le Dorotechem. And it says regarding the oil that was used to anoint the Mishkan and to anoint the Kohanim, the word Mishmeret also. Uh, I'm sorry, le Dorotechem also. And it says with the, uh, it says with the staff of Aaron, the word Mishmeret. So all of them are interconnected. They're words that connect. There's a word that connects the Aaron to the uh, man, and there's a word that connects the man to the oil, and the man also to the rod of Aaron. So all these things end up staying permanently with the, uh, uh, with the uh, with the Aron wherever it is, but the point is that they didn't have it in Beit So what's the whole point here? The whole point is that there's no um, there's there's no way that so the, our Mishnah doesn't make sense because if it's talking about Beit Rishon, so then there wouldn't have been curtains. There would have been a uh, wooden partition there with doors. And if we're talking about Beit Shani, there wouldn't have been an Aron. So how can he put them? How can he put the fire pan down between the two staves of the Aron if there is no Aron? So the answer is. Uh, the, the Olam B'Mikdash Shini, we're really talking about the second Beit HaMikdash, obviously, but it has to be, because there, there wouldn't have been two curtains in the first Beit HaMikdash, so for sure it's not talking about sec, uh, the first Beit HaMikdash. Aron. So what does it mean he reached the Aron? Makom Aron. It means he came to the place of the Aron. Doesn't it say that he placed it in, the, in between the two staves of the Aron, the two handles of the Aron, the sticks? So they're, they're not there. So what does it mean he placed them there? The answer is that it means that as if, as if they were there. In other words, he put it in the spot where it would be. Okay, now obviously, because we're envisioning the ideal that one that day the Aron will come back, like this will be the exact place to put it. There was right. nothing in the Kodesh. There was, there was just the Evan Shtiyah there, the, the special Evan Shtiyah, the special rock, but besides that, there was nothing in there. Why would the Badim by, by they d- Badim are just the sticks of the Aron that stick out. They're never allowed to be removed, you know, the Badim uh-huh. on the Aron, the, the handles, they never get removed. Right, they're not allowed to remove them, so they they always were there sticking out. They stuck out, stuck out forward. But first temple, but first, but first temple, would stick out of curtain. And first temple, and the Mishkan, second, yeah. oh, right, and the Mishkan, and the, the Mishkan would stick out, yeah, not, they, the, not against the wood, not the, yeah. Where did that special rock stand from? It was always there. There's all kinds of midrashim about that. Before the Beit Hamikdash was built, it was there. It was always there. Yeah, it was always there. It's called. It wasn't in the first Beit Hamikdash. Apparently, it was always there, that they worked around it. I think it was always there. Yeah, the assumption it was always there. Yeah. It's not where Yaakov slept. And he had yeah, they said there's all kinds of things, Midrashim, about that being a special stone that was always there. Yeah, the Akedah and everything. Yeah. Yeah, so, Tzavarat HaKetorat Al Gabei He piles the Ketorat on the coals. So, Tanan, Kemanda, Amar Tzovra, Tanei Chada, Tzovra, so the, so the Aaron Mishnah is following the one that says Tzovra, because we saw that there were two opinions. There was one that said that you have, he has to lay it out thinly over the coals, and there was one that says he should pile it up over the coals. Right? There were two opinions that we saw 
uh, about two dapim ago. So now it's saying this Mishnah obviously supports the idea that he piles it up. He doesn't lay it out thinly, but he piles it up. Uh, and and because you see, it says that he has to pile it. So the question is, where should he start? Should he start close to himself or far away from himself? Should he start inside, meaning away from himself, and move in? So if he's going to pour the ketorot, he starts pouring the ketorot away from himself, move in. Or should he start close to himself and move out? There are two braytot. It's a machloket tanaim between the two braytot. It's not the same opinion in two ways. It's two different opinions. And it makes more sense that he should do it inside, which is far from himself, meaning inside, closer to the Kodesh HaKodeshi, towards the Kodesh HaKodeshi. He's in the Kodesh HaKodeshi, but closer to the Kodesh HaKodeshi, toward, and then towards himself. Why? It makes sense. Because, because we learned in a Mishnah that they tell him, be careful when you're pouring it that you don't get burnt, right? When you, when you pour it. Now, if you start pouring it closer to yourself, then the smoke is going to start going up and burning you as you're as you're uh, extending your arm over it to uh, go the other way, right? So it's going to start going in your face and burning you. So therefore, if he starts away from himself and he comes closer, so it will start cooking, so to speak, you know, burning away from him, and then he comes closer to himself. That makes more sense, as Rabbi. Right? So the, the, you might have thought that a person should go in fully prepared into the Kodesh HaKodeshim with the Ketorah already on the fire pan, but no, it says... He should place it on the fire in front of Hashem, which means to say, inside the Kodesh HaKodeshim. This was the opposite of what the Tzadokim thought. They thought you should do it outside and then go in. In other words, they said, well, you have to fix it outside and walk in. You don't walk in and then fix something right in the Kodesh HaKodeshim, so to speak, like right in Hashem's face, you know. Not really. Obviously, they're thinking about it the wrong way. That's the whole point. They're thinking, oh, what, Hashem is in there, you know. How can you walk in and then you, uh, but, you know, the, the, the mitzvah is you do it in there. Right, my derush. Where did they get it from? Because it says, "I will appear um, in the cloud of the ketoret. I will appear over the kaporet. The kaporet is the cover of the aron." Meaning that you have to have the cloud when you go in. So Rashi says, "Ki al Meaning you have to go in with a cloud of ketoret already created, like a buffer between you and Hashem. Hashem is going to appear, so to speak, above the kaporet, so therefore you have to go in already with the anan, with the cloud uh, uh, buffering you, right? Doesn't it already say that he has to put the kaporet on the fire in, before Hashem? So then what is the reason why it says that Hashem is going to appear in the cloud? Meaning, you would, they're saying that means that you have to have the cloud already so that when you go in, Hashem's appearance, so to speak, there's already a cloud there. The, the rabbis are saying, no, it says you put the kaporet on the fire inside the Kodesh HaKodeshim. Okay, so then what does it mean in the cloud I will it teaches you that you have to put in that ketorot this special herb called the male ashan that we learned about. Remember many dapim ago we talked about how it was a secret that they passed from generation to generation how to identify this male ashan that would make the smoke go straight up. Right? So, uh, so that's what, so, uh, and uminai. So it says, so, so therefore it says, imken matamodomoyanamodomoyanamodomoyanamodomoyanamodomoyanamodomoyanamodomoyanamodomoyanamodomoyanamodomoyanamodomoyanamodomoyanamodomoyanamodomoyanamodomoyanamodomoyanamodom
Meaning, if he didn't put in the Malay Ashan, or he, he failed to place one of the ingredients into the Ketorot, he is liable for death at the hands of heaven. Now, the funny thing is that you'll notice that this teaching here repeats itself. Because first it says, oh, what does it mean that the, in a cloud I will appear on the Ketorot? That means you have to have Malay Ashan. And then it says, and where do you get the idea that you need the Malay Ashan? Because it says that the cloud of the Ketorot should cover the Ketorot. Kaporet is the cover of the Aaron, right? So why does it say twice? It ju- you just told me that I that I oh, now I know that I need to put in Malay Ashan because it says Ki Be'anan Era Ela Kaporet. That tells me I need to have the Malay Ashan in there to make sure the smoke goes up. Okay, so then why does it say? And where do you know that you need the Malay Ashan? What do you mean? And where do you know? You just told me, right? The Gemara is going to discuss that in a second. But why do you need a special pasuk to tell you that if you failed to place the right ingredients in the ketoret, you would be chayav mitah? You don't really need to know that. Why? Because it's biarek kanit. Biarek kanit means you're not allowed to go in to any in with empty-handed, right? Don't come in empty-handed. You're not allowed to come in empty-handed, right? So, um, so Rashi says the inami lo katav achav lo yamud mechayev mita ketorot chaserad ashkach ta'el biarek kanit shelo letzorich. In other words, you came into the kodesh kodeshim for no purpose because you went and you didn't do a mitzvah. You you brought a ketorot which was not a ketorot. If you brought a you bought potpourri at the local uh, uh, store and you bring it in, that's that's not ketorot. So you didn't do the mitzvah, so you actually came into the Kodesh HaKodeshim for nothing. Chayav mitzvah for going into the Kodesh HaKodeshim for nothing. You don't need to tell me a special thing. Oh, if you left out one of the ingredients, what do you mean if I left out one of the ingredients? If I left out one of the ingredients, I might as well go to my local uh, uh, store and buy ketorah to bring it in, buy uh, uh, incense to bring it in. So obviously, so you know why it has to mention that burning this ketorot you'll be chayav mita because the person when he went in didn't realize. In other words, he forgot when he went in that he had he hadn't brought in one of the uh, he hadn't added one of the uh, ingredients to the uh, ketorot. So that was bishogeg. He wouldn't be chayav mita because when he went in, it was bishogeg was by accident. But then when he was already in there, he said, "You know what? I'm already in here." Uh, you know, pressure is on. I better just, uh, I better just offer this ketorot, whatever I have, and not say anything. You know, whatever he's doing it on purpose. So when he did the haktara, when he did the burning of the ketorot, was on purpose. So meaning he wouldn't be chayav mita for going in because at the time he went in, he forgot that he uh, left out one of the ingredients. But when he was already in, he said, "I'm not going to be embarrassed. Now go out." I don't know. I'm just making it up. But I'm saying, you know, he decided to just go ahead and do it. So that he would be chayav mita for offering the deficient ketorot. Even if he did the whole thing b'mezid, he still would need two different violations, not just a violation. In other words, you would still need a pasuk to tell you that there's a separate violation for burning the deficient ketorot. Why? Because maybe he went in with two. It's not necessarily talking about where he only went in with a deficient ketorot. Maybe he had both. Right? In other words, he, would be li- he wouldn't be liable for going in without ketoret because he brought a good ketoret. But he would be liable for, uh, for, for offering the deficient ketoret. Right? So in other words, they're just trying to find a case where offering a deficient ketoret would be a separate violation and you wouldn't already be in violation for just coming in. It's saying, oh, well, either when you, when you came in, you forgot that you had a deficient ketoret, so it was only bishogeg, or no, you knew, but you had both. 
you had a uh, you had a full kitarat, and you also had a deficient kitarat. You can imagine, you know, somebody said, "Would you mind just putting a little bit of my special kitarat in the kodesh kodesh?" You know, I always wanted. And you said to your friend, "Okay, you know, I'll add it. I don't know. I'm making it up, but I'm saying the guy got so now you have two deficiencies. You have that he put in. He, he I'm sorry, you have two prohibitions. He went in with a good kitarat, so he's not going to be liable no for going in. But he also, his you know, his grandmother said, you know, I would really like it if you brought my special incense that I make at home. You know, please uh, put it in there. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and 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 so he did that. That would be uh, the kitorot that's chaserah. But the kitorot was already made in advance. Right. It wasn't that the family made the kitorot and then he had. To right. Do this right. Thing. It would be an unusual yeah. case if it was right. it would be an unusual situation. Yeah. Amar more the message. We mentioned nothing about Malayashan. How do you know that you bring Malayashan? You have to add Malayashan. Right. It says that the cloud has to cover everything. Kral You have two psukim. Because what did we say before? This is what I mentioned before. In the beginning it said, how do you know that you need Malay Hashem? Because it says, Ki era ela kaporet. That Hashem is going, His presence is going to appear over the covering of the ark and therefore Ki anan. there has to be an Anan, has to be a cloud. We already know you need the Malay Hashem. Then it says, oh, and how do you know you need Malay Hashem? Because it says, V'chisa anan ketoret. So why do you need to say it again? You need two psukim for one thing? So it says, Amar Rav Yosef, Achita Amar, En ala Allah. Male Ashan, right? Ale, sorry. Ale, male Ashan. Ikal male Ashan, minai. You would think that you, in other words, the first pasuk tells you that you need to put male Ashan. You would think only the leaf of the male Ashan you have to put in. What if you put the root of the male Ashan? So it says, Talmud Lamar v'chisa. That's why it says v'chisa. In other words, one pasuk is telling you you need male Ashan. The second pasuk comes to tell you that it could be even the root of it. Either one is good. Root or leaf. Amale abaye v'ibchatanya. But we learned exactly the opposite. We learned that actually the root is better. If you put the root of the Malayashan in, that's what makes the smoke go straight up. Right? That it reaches the, uh, the ceiling. Because if, if the smoke is going straight up, right? So it's going to hit the ceiling. But obviously the ceiling contains it. So after a while, it starts spreading out to the sides, right? Because it's going to go straight up and then it's going to, the smoke's going to fill up. Right? It says the house, and that's talking about, uh, that's actually talking about the nevuah of Yeshayahu, but that the house was full of, of smoke. And apparently this was a vision of the, uh, of this, uh, of the Ketorot. But the idea is that according to Rav Yosef was implying that we would assume that you would use the leaf of the Malayashan. How do I know that I can even use the root of the Malayashan? I need another Pasuk. But Rabbi is saying it's the opposite. The root of the Malayashan is the better one. That's what you're supposed to use. So it says, Right? So how do you know? In other words, he's just flipping around the same answer of Rav Yosef. That one Pasuk is telling you that the leaf is good. One Pasuk is telling you that the root is good. But Rabbi is saying that the, the, the baseline is the root actually. The extra Pasuk comes to say that even the leaf is good. The root for sure is good. Fine. Rabbi, would, you have, yeah. would you have not understood if they tell you Malayashan, any part of Malayashan? Obviously, you wouldn't have understood it. I mean, otherwise. one of them is Malayashan, better than the other. But you're, that's like a, that's like a, you know, very, they're, they're talking about, you might think they have to do the best. Why, why not? Maybe they, you would assume maybe that whatever is the best Malayashan is what you have to use. I think so. I think it would make sense that you would assume that. Rav Shesha Damar in the El Ol Moed. Sheba Midbar. So now, now he's trying another approach at why you need two psukim, right? One, one idea why you need two psukim about Malayashan is one is for the root, one is for the leaf. Rav Shesh says, I have a different idea. Maybe you might have thought it's only an oil moed Sheba Midbar. Maybe you only need Malayashan in the Midbar because that's where it's written, right? Ah, uh, Shiloh, Bet And how do you know in Shiloh and the Bet HaMikdash you need it? That extra pasuk is telling you even in the Bet HaMikdash. 
But now he says, Hi, But we already have a pasuk that says what, that you have to do all of this procedure in oil moed, which is dwelling amongst you. Dwelling amongst you means whether it's the oil moed or the bait or the bet hamikdash. It doesn't matter. Whatever the sanctuary of God is at that time, that's the one that you have to do it in. So you don't need this pasuk of achisa Rav Shesha says, no, no, no. What it means is, I know on Yom Kippur you need to put Maleashan in the Ketorah because it has to fill the entire room. How do I know that every other day of the year when they bring Ketorah, they also have to put Maleashan? That's why you need Vechisa to tell you that you, this is a rule. In other words, you might have thought that this idea that there's a cloud that goes up is only on Yom Kippur. Nope, it's also during the rest of the year when they bring the Ketorah, same thing. Now, Rav Ravashi has a simple answer. He says, no, one Pasuk is telling you it's a mitzvah to put Maleashan. The second Pasuk is telling you that it's me'akev. If you don't put it, it's pasul. Tosfot asked, what about the fact that everything in Yom Kippur is chukah? It has to be that way. Okay, good question. But Rav Amar, chad onesh, v'chad la'asara. You could look. Chad onesh, v'chad la'asara. Rav says, one is for onesh, one is for asara. In other words, one is telling you there's a mitzvah to, uh, uh, to, to do it. That, and if you don't do it, meaning one is telling you that Azara is a warning, meaning that you're, you're commanded not to omit the Maleashan. The other one is saying Onish, that actually it's Chayav Mita if you omit the Maleashan, because you might have thought that you're not supposed to omit it, but it's not really one of the core ingredients. It's extra, obviously, because it's something that like, it's like a preservative, so to speak. Like it's not actually one of the main ingredients. It's something that just makes the smoke go up. So you might have thought it's not going to be, it's not going to be punished for omitting it, right? It's not one of the, it's not one of the, right, Maleashan Koshu, it's not one of the, it's not one of the Samanim. Yeah. It's extra. So you might have thought, you know, that you wouldn't be punished for that, but you are. Tanya, but it says, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Velo Yamut, Onish. When it says Velo Yamut, that's the Onish. Right? So when it says, Velo Yamut, that he won't die because he came in with the proper Ketoret, Right? Um, th- that's telling you that you'll, the, the death penalty f- for a person who doesn't bring the male, who doesn't add the maleashat, uh, right? But when it says ki be'anan era'eh, that's azra, that was the warning, that there must be a cloud in the Kodesh HaKodeshim. So you have warning and you have punishment. You might have thought that both of these psukim were stated before the death of Bnei Aaron. Talmud Lomar, achroimot shnei Bnei Aaron. That's why it says achroimot shnei Bnei Aaron. And, uh, and uh, the the way that he's interpreting it is that it's that you, in other words you might have thought that the, that the death of Bnei Aaron was because they omitted the Malay Ashan, but, and, but it's saying that no, it was uh, that wasn't the reason. So it says you This mitzvah was after the death of Bnei Aaron that there was a death penalty for leaving out the Malay Ashan. So it wouldn't be that they omitted the Malay Ashan. Maybe you'll think that there was no such concept as a Malay Ashan uh, before the death of Bnei Aaron. That's why it says Ki Be'anan Era Kaporet that um, that pasuk uh, uh, and. Uh, Ha ketzad? How does it work? Azara kodem mita, veonesh achar mita. That the uh, that the warning was given before they died, but the punishment after they died. Now it's not exactly clear what he's getting from the pasuk ki banan erel kaporet. The Gemara is going to explain that in a second. But the point is that they're saying that it wasn't the death penalty of bnei Aaron was not because they omitted the malei ashan. Okay, you might have thought that because it seems like this pas- these psukim are emphasizing the malei ashan that it creates a cloud, right? So you might have thought maybe that was the problem. That it's emphasizing in a, the first thing that he's telling Aaron and achrei mochne bnei Aaron in the mitzvot of. Um, of uh, uh, of Yom Kippur is it's emphasizing this idea of bringing the Ketorot and making the cloud, right? That's what it's emphasizing. 
right? So, so maybe you'll think that that had something to do with their original sin that they did because they, they failed to do that maybe and that's why they got punished. Like, no, that, the idea of that serious punishment wasn't there at the time of Bnei Aron, even though the concept of putting in Malay Ashan was, but the, but the punishment wasn't. Now, my Talmud, what do you get from that? Where do you get it from that pasuk? Amar Rava, Amar Kra, ki be'anan vadayin lo because it says, in a cloud, I will appear, but I have not yet appeared. In other words, what it means is, Rashi says, Hashem had not yet appeared in the, in the uh, Mishkan when this Pasuk was said, because it's saying it in the future. Now, if that was after the deaths of Aaron, that couldn't be accurate, because obviously he, uh, the, Hashem's presence had already manifested itself in the Mishkan at the time of the death of Bnei Aaron. So when it's so the Pasuk that says, I'm going to appear in a cloud in the, uh, in, in the uh, Mishkan, is obviously talking, was obviously given before the deaths of Aaron, even though the punishment for omitting the Malayashan was not given until later. That's how the Gemara interpreted it. So why were they punished then if that wasn't the reason? The reason why Bnei Aaron were punished, punished was because they re- ruled on Halakha in front of Moshe Rabbeinu. My Darush, what was, their, what was their ruling that they gave? Because it says that the Bnei Aaron have to put fire on them. That even though the fire comes down from heaven, it's still a mitzvah for the human beings to uh, supplement with their own fire. In other words, they learned that out from the Pesukim. And they were right, Rashi says. They were correct in what they said. The only thing was, it wasn't their job. It wasn't their, you know, it wasn't their authority to, uh, to make halachic rulings when Moshe Rabbeinu was there. And that was the problem. And I mean, in general, and the, Tosafot here quotes, you know, there's a lot of other um, interpretations of the, uh, uh, of the uh, some say they were drinking, some say they didn't have children. There's a lot of different uh, drashot and midrashim about what the sin was that they did. But all of them basically boil down to a certain, um, some kind of a ga'ava, in the way that they approached the uh, they approached the Mishkan, some kind of arrogance. Either they made ruling on their own, or they were drinking, which means they didn't take it so seriously. They were, you know, they, they were a little inebriated, which means they don't realize the seriousness of what they're doing, or you know, whatever they did. According to all the midrashim, there's you know, or they said we're not going to have children, meaning they didn't want to have children because you know having children cramps your style. It's not you know you 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 lose your independence. You know, that's like today. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't want. I'm deciding if I want to have kids or not. You know because they want to be able to live a, a fun life. They don't want to ruin it. That's what they, that's what they think. So it's a selfish uh, thing. So all of, the, all of the midrashim boil down to the idea that there was a, some level of a ga'ava. Not saying, you know, on the level of an average person, because they were a great tzaddikim, obviously, but there was some level of, uh, of that. And that's why, or, you know, if they went into the Kodesh HaKodeshim, or they brought, whatever they did, they did something independently, that showed that they felt themselves higher than they were, and that's that's the problem. And that's the but that's that's the high level. Hashem judges the tzaddikim that way, especially because if you look at all the mishkan had to be kasher tiva Hashem et Moshe hundred percent. Everything was. If you read the psukim, you see the emphasis the Torah is making because every single thing it did kasher tiva Hashem et Moshe. Kasher everything is kasher tiva Hashem et Moshe. Everything, and then it says asher lot Right, that they, you know, that the, the idea was that they went and did something they weren't commanded, so they were making it into their own 
spectacle, whatever that was, whether it was they made a ruling, whether it was they dressed, they didn't wear the right garments, or they drank, or whatever they did, they made it somewhat about themselves instead of about the Mishkan, that was the, that was the fatal, uh, fatal sin. But the form of it, the Midrashim are debating, but I'm saying the general idea is actually similar. Now it says, Yatzah he has to go back the way he came. Minan Emile, how do we know he does that? In other words, he backs out of the Kodesh Kodeshim, like out of respect. You don't turn your back and walk out. Amar it said that Shlomo came to the, uh, the altar in Givon, Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim. So the question is, what do you mean, Yerushalayim? Givon is not Yerushalayim. V'chiman yan Givon is Yerushalayim. Ela makish yitziatom Givon, Yerushalayim. The biatom Yerushalayim Givon. It's comparing when he left Givon and went to Jerusalem to his arrival, right? When he came from Yerushalayim to Givon. I'm sorry, it's comparing his leaving of... Um, Givon to go back to Yerushalayim to his arrival at so Givon from Yerushalayim. Meaning, what? Right. So, ma biatom Yerushalayim le Givon panav klape bama. So, just like when he went to Givon, he was facing give the bama. He was facing the altar. So, bi, so af yitziato. Right. So it says kederch biatos. So af yitziato me Givon Yerushalayim panav klape bama. So similarly, when he left, he left facing the bama the way that he came. In other words, he, you always face towards the, the holy place. So just like when he came to Giv'on, he was facing the altar. When he left, he was facing the altar. When he backed away, he didn't turn his back. Same is true about the Kohanim. When they serve, that they don't turn their back to the Kodesh HaKodeshim. And similarly, same thing with the Levim when they're singing. They always are facing properly. They don't, uh, they don't leave with their backs to the Kodesh, Kodeshim, Bimamadan, and also the uh, Jewish people, Bimamadan, when they, because we know that there was always a Ma'amad of regular Jews in addition to the Watch of Kohanim that were offering the Korbanot and the Levim. There were also ordinary Jews that came as called the Ma'amad. When they would leave, they would never turn their back and walk out, they would turn to the side, meaning they would have to see behind them a little bit, you know, but they would be facing the, uh, they're facing the Kodesh HaKodeshim when they exited. Same is true about a student who leaves his teacher. You don't turn your back and walk away. You walk facing. Mitzadet means you turn it to the side because you obviously have to see where you're going. You know, it's like, uh, it's not, uh, it's like some people who back out of a parking space without looking behind them. You know, you have to go know where you're going, but you, you know, you have to, you face the, uh, Face the person. That's but that's how you're supposed to do the mitzvah. But it, they're not exiting. We're talking about exiting. Sometimes you do. So, what do you mean the seats of the, the seats of the rabbis are always face, facing at the back to the house? That's the style. But we're talking about leaving when you leave. We're not talking about when you uh, when you stand. You're allowed to stand sometimes with your back to the house. But you're not supposed to walk out like that. It's saying, right? So now it says, Rabbi Elazar, uh, Rabbi Elazar, like Rabbi Elazar, Kad Hava Miftar Minei Rabbi Yochanan. When he would leave Rabbi Yochanan, right? This is the style. Ki Hava Ba'ir Rabbi Yochanan Nisaguyei Hava Gachim Ka'ir Rabbi Elazar Aduchtei Adav Mechzei Rabbi Yochanan Minei. That when when Rabbi Yochanan wanted to leave, okay, so he would stand like bent over, like out of respect. And uh, in his place until Rabbi Yochanan was no longer visible. And when Rabbi Elazar wanted to leave the presence of his teacher, then he would walk backwards until he could no longer see Rabbi Yochanan. This was a little bit problematic. When he would leave Rabbi Yosef, he would walk backwards, but he was banging into everything because he wasn't looking behind him so well. 
and uh, and and it, it turned out that he's he got cut and he's bleeding on the doorstep of the of Rav Yosef. He's making a mess of his blood because he wasn't looking carefully enough. He was probably he probably I think I saw him driving on Middle Neck Road. You know, yeah. And he said he didn't look. Opened the car door. He wasn't looking. He's bleeding everywhere. And the the chidush is that Rav Yosef was blind, so he doesn't even know. What Rava's doing, he doesn't know that he's walking backwards, walking forward. He doesn't see it. Right. Well, well, let's see what happens. Amrulay Rav Yosef, Achiyavid. So they said to Rav Yosef, oh, by the way, you hear the noise of all the stuff breaking or whatever. You know, this is Rava's walking backwards. Amarleye Rava, Detarum, Eshach, Akulakracha. May it be Hashem's will that your head be raised over the entire city, meaning that you should become Rosh Hashiva because you have so much, so much kavod for the Torah that even when I can't see you, you're showing the kavod to the Torah because it's showing it's you know he knows that he can't see him and he's still showing him so much kavod. <laughs> well, you see that also uh, that also you know people ask oh it, it, like when a person stands up for their parent or whatever or a teacher it's not about the teacher or parent seeing it you see from here right. even because he can't even see yeah so Rava uh, so, 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 yeah he was he was saying he was saying a blessing to him a bleeding okay that part maybe you should fix but. When a person prays at the end, you walk three steps back. And then you give peace, meaning you say goodbye. Meaning that's when you bow the three directions. Right? Once the person has walked back three steps, he has to stand there for a little while. You don't walk back to the place where you were praying, right? We know that we wait until the Kiddushat to walk back to the place where you were originally praying. You're not supposed to go back there. It's like a, a student who takes leave of the teacher. If he walks right back, it's like a dog that returns to its vomit, meaning to say that you, you said goodbye already, but you're like erasing the, you know, the respectful thing that you did because you walk right back up. So it's sort of like the respectful exit that you made asking permission to... To leave, then you show that you just, you know, it didn't mean anything to you. Right? So we don't walk back to our spot after the Amidat. You're supposed to wait a few seconds, yeah. If the person doesn't take three steps back and do the bowing, he might as well not have prayed because he didn't show uh, respect. In other words, it's a sign that he took permission to, to step out of the presence of Hashem, like you don't just walk in, you're talking to a king, be like, see you later, and you walk out. No, you say you have permission. Yeah, you have to, you have to walk back uh, respectfully, right? So now it says, uh, it should say Rav Shemaya, because it's not Shemaya Vav Tadion. Amushinoten Shalom Liamin, Right, he, he he first starts by facing right. Now you should notice that that's not what we do, but um, it's going to explain in a second. Right, right, right. So it's saying, so it says first right then left. Because it says from his right hand came the fiery law of Torah that's in Vizot Abiracha. Right, Veomer. It similarly says, Right, it's, it says that uh, a thousand fall by the left and ten thousand by the right. So my Omer, why do you need two psukim? Maybe you'll say maybe you'll say that the only reason it mentions the right hand in the giving of the Torah because that's normal. You use your right hand, the stronger hand, right? It's it's just natural to use the right hand. From that pasuk, you see that even when you compare the two hands, the right hand has supremacy. So it's not just that it's normal to give with the right hand; it's a natural thing. But there's something special about the right hand, the stronger hand, that that is uh, the one that uh, takes precedence. Now it says. 
who was actually bowing to the right first. You're not supposed to do that to your right. You're supposed to do it to your left. Because you imagine the Shekhinah in front of you. And, the, and therefore you bow to the left first, which is the right of the king, so to speak. I also saw that they took the three steps back with one bowing. In other words, a lot of people make a mistake. They bow, then they take three steps back, and then they bow again, and they do the three. But that's not the way. You're supposed to, at the end of the Amidah, bow, and in the bowing position, you take the three steps back, then do, right? You do the three. What? While you're bowing. In other words, you don't come back up. You don't bow and then take three steps back and bow again. You bow, and then you take three steps back while you're bowing, and then you, the completion of the bowing is the Ose Shalom. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, it's, it speaks about how the Kohen Gadol would say a special short tefillah in the Kodesh after he came out of the Kodesh Kodeshim. So, my Mitzalei, what did he say? Both of these brothers said in the name of, it says in the name of Rav here, on the side, does it tell us a different name? In the side it says, it says Rav, Yosef, Rav Yehuda instead of Rav, okay. Um, Maybe your will, Hashem our God, may be a rainy, warm year. So it'd be like Florida. No, it says Shchuna Maliuta. Are you saying that hot is good? Hot is not necessarily good. If it's going to be a warm year, a hot year, may there be a lot of rain to, to, to counteract the heat. Right? That's, we read it in the, we read this in the Musaf of Yom Kippur. You should recognize it. He added in the name of Rav Yudah another thing. That the, the power, the political power and leadership, the, uh, uh, the shilton, the uh, political autonomy should never leave the house of Yehuda because, because, you know, they, oh, they had still the Resh Galuta. Right, they had the Resh Galuta until the times of the, uh, you know, until in t- through Talmudic times, a descendant going all the way back to uh, supposed to be going all the way back to David Amelachta. Velo you amchaisa tichin lehit parnes, it should be zemize. Velo tikanes lefanecha tvelat ovred rachim. And this also we mentioned the Yom Kippur Avodah that the Jewish people should not depend on each other for parnasah, meaning they shouldn't have to borrow money from each other or de- or be poor. Um, they sh- each person should be able to make their own living, and the prayers of those who are walking on the way should not come before you. Now that means that if people are traveling, they're going to say, I really hope it doesn't rain. Oh, please God, make it not rain. But then there's not going to be any food. Because the, the tefillah of the Ovrei Drachim, right? That's why we, why, why the Kohen Gadol adds, Le'inyan Egeshem Bilvad. Like we read in the, in the Musaf of Yom Kippur, it says, may the prayer of travelers not come before you, Le'inyan Egeshem Bilvad. Only regarding rain. Not if he says, may it be, uh, so, and there's no lions on the way, that's okay. Meaning that there's no, you know, no rain. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, one time Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, famous story, was walking, and Shaddam Mitrali, he was getting poured rain on him. Amari, Bonoshel Olav, he said, Master of the world, the whole world is, is enjoying themselves, and I'm suffering. Pasak Mitra, so the rain stopped, very nice. I tried that, it didn't work. When he came to his house, now he said, I'm home, there's no rain, so he comes home, now he's dry, he's like, now uh, the whole world is suffering because there's no rain, and I'm home, dry, so you know, now the rest of the world needs to be taken care of. Atamitra, so then the rain came. Clearly, the, even the prayer of the Kohen Gadol cannot repel the prayer of Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. Maybe the average person uh, traveling, their prayer could be ignored, but not Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. Why do you have to pray? Hashem sees that he's traveling. Should be no rain. We always believe you have to articulate the tefillah. It's 
Anyway, it's part of the story. It could just be that he thought that in his head. I don't know if he actually said. Tanu Rabbanan, the rabbis taught Maseba Kohen Gadol Echad Sheirich Betfilato Venimnu Achava Kohanim Likanes Achrav. One time a Kohen Gadol was spending so much time in there, in the Kodesh Hakodeshim, or in the Kodesh actually, praying that the Kohanim were like, we'd better go in and see if he's okay. Hitchiloem Nichnasim. Just when they were about to go in, they decided to go in to try to extract him from there. Just when they were about to go in, he came out. They said to him, Why did you make such a long tefillah? Is it bad in your eyes that I was praying for you and I was praying that this Beit HaMikdash should not be destroyed? I, was, I, I wanted to pray. They said to him, Don't make a habit of doing that. Why not? Because it says in the Mishnah that the Kohen Gadol should not uh, make a long prayer because he's going to scare the people like exactly what happened there. And according to the Yushalmi, as quoted in the Tosfot Yishanim here, the Yushalmi says it was Shimonat Tzadik actually that it happened and because he knew that the Beit HaMikdash was eventually going to be destroyed so therefore he was saying a special prayer but they said no we, and obviously he lived before the time the Mishnah was written so they're saying that this teaching that the Kohen Gadol is not supposed to make a long prayer was a known teaching even before it was recorded obviously in the Mishnah. They weren't quoting the Mishnah to him because the Mishnah wasn't written yet in the time of Shimonat Tzadik but meaning they were quoting that rule that the Kohen Gadol should make it short and sweet because people are going to be worried about him uh, otherwise. Not because we want to ban people from praying, but because people will, uh, will misunderstand it. They won't know what's going on in there and they'll get worried. Yeah. Okay.